0: Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I'll go first. It's easy for me to do. I (laughs) have been starting to feel good, Kirk. I went, I've been running between noon and three each day, running in the heat of the day, taking our own advice, taking advice from our guests who are, you know, the Colderosas of the world, Rhea Cobol, who are choosing to run in the heat. And I'm starting just to feel good. Just good running. I can't do anything high end, but just running casually and 94 degrees with 70% humidity. I'm just feeling my strides starting to click a little bit. And you know me, what happens the moment that starts to happen?
1: You start uh, going on that old Google looking for maybe a race to run.
0: Yes, I do. And on Thursday and Friday, I had back-to-back runs where I just felt kind of cool. Felt like a man. What does that mean? What does that
1: mean? You feel cool when you are running. Like, how would you describe it? I would say, like, oh, like the winds flowing through your hair, but you can't say that.
0: So, what does that mean to you? I, I don't know. Maybe that's not even. Maybe absolutely, it was the worst descriptor of that run. (laughs) I just felt good. (laughs) Good. I was just feeling like my strides starting to remember what running is, Mm. and I wake up Saturday. And I watch and follow this this Spartan Race, National oh. Series race that you were at. And I realized, nope. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Because you guys looked like you were hurting and running fast. And I went out for a seven-mile run and started running a kind of high-end aerobic halfway through. You were pumped it, up. Yeah, you it, couldn't it, help it. it. It tipped me over immediately. And I was not ready for anything fast. So thank you for your reminder that there are levels to fitness and levels to competition. And you saved me from myself from signing up for a race all willy nilly.
1: Don't say like I saved you from anything. Cause I, you I great... all. All right. All right. I can accept that. You're very welcome. We're doing the people's
0: work. I get antsy. You start to feel good. and You think I could do it right this very minute. Mm-mm. There are levels to this. Yeah.
1: Well, and and there's, first of all, you're getting your biomechanical efficiency back, which we talk about. Like, that's what's happening to you, I think. Your body's remembering, right? Yeah. But then, like, once that happens, then it's like, now how do I get my biomechanical efficiency back when I'm already, like, in the pain cave and surpass my lactate threshold? And then that's like a whole nother step in the process that you're probably going to embark on soon, but that's the difference. really is. Oh, for
0: sure. And it's funny that, About two weeks ago, I started feeling good for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then last week, I was making it 25, 35 minutes with my form still feeling crisp. And this week, I think I made it 42 minutes, 46 minutes with my form feeling crisp. And then it tails off. And this is that aerobic effort. So once that gets to what, 90 minutes, two hours, two and a half maybe, then... Then I'm ready to run work. When I can run two hours with my form feeling crisp, I'm ready for workouts. But there's a difference between feeling crisp and and spicy at an aerobic effort for 35 minutes and then starting to realize, oh, my form's shifting and being ready to race.
1: Yeah. I felt crisp for about 10 minutes on Saturday. That's better than zero minutes. It is better than zero minutes. But, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you something. Well, okay. Quick. Here. You, ask me uh, something. I want to ask you something, because I feel like I'm going to do a bit of the talk, and because we're going to get into Asheville race recap, and then how to analyze your race, dissect it, and have takeaways and tangibles moving forward to make yourself better. So that's today's topic. But um, for you, you've been off the grid every weekend, Bracken. You, I yeah. feel like you're living the um, the Kirk DeWitt lifestyle. Like I like to get away, get out. And ever since you got this little camper that could, you're gone. Every weekend, you're gone. Who have you turned into?
0: I'm just a mountain man, Kirk.
1: (laughs) Where are these mountains that you're hanging out at?
0: I'm a wilderness man now.
1: (laughs) Okay. You know what the
0: delightful thing is? Is that we started camping with Lisa's family two years ago. This is the third year. And year one, my meniscus menisci were deteriorating to the point where I did not run at any of these campgrounds we were at. Hmm. Cause it was, I was coming off of some races and it just wasn't recovering anymore. That, that trans transition had happened to the recovery. Wasn't happening after races used to take a couple of days, then a couple of weeks. And now it just wasn't getting better. And then year two, I had two surgeries and I didn't run at any of these campgrounds. So I'm surrounded by trails and nature and places where, you know how it is, you, you travel and it's so easy to get an hour, 90 minutes, two hours in because it's someplace new and you're just exploring new trails. And yeah. I couldn't do it at any of these places. And now I can run at these places. So the camping's awesome. Seeing the family is awesome. But then my personal running wise, it's awesome to go see trails that I've been lusting after for two years. And I finally get to get out there and experience them.
1: It's probably my favorite part about traveling, to be honest. I mean, other than the travel itself is exploring new terrain, even if it's not even that glorious, just a change in scenery. Yeah. Like, like, sure, I love peanut butter and jelly, and that's what running in your own neighborhood is like. But do I want PB&J every day? Like, not no, I want a change up, right? Yeah. Although I will say my, my new house here on the lake, um, I, I'm surrounded by county highways. And I'm in one of those neighborhoods where like the running here sucks ass. And so I'm trying to relearn my new surroundings and it's, it's been a tough go. So maybe I'll need a couple of camping trips to reinvigorate my, my running routine
0: back in. I support that. Thank you. All right. So what I want to spring on you. No, I mean, we kind of discussed it, but I want to do this episode as a, how to properly go about breaking down a race, whether you win whether you lose, whether you achieve what you set out to do, whether you crash and burn, whether it's a mixed bag, it's difficult to look at a race the correct way. Yep. And I want to just use this as an example episode of how to approach the after race. This is the after action report.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: H- how to approach doing that? how how I mean, again, calling us pros is generous, but how the, the pro mindset of how to go about breaking down a race, what you take from it, what you don't, and since you just raced, we get to do your recap and do it all in one. And then I'll kind of just play like the coach's role. You're going to break it down as an athlete. And then I'll, in the moment, kind of use my, my perspective to, to balance that out and show people exactly what you do take out of a race, what you don't take, and why you do it all. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does.
1: Because I feel like a, a lot of athletes, a lot of people listen to this, run a race. And whether it goes good or poorly, if it goes good, you do less self-reflection, Sometimes you just like, oh, God, I got lucky. My body showed up today. And you don't think about what got you there specifically. And then if it goes yeah. poorly, um, a lot of times it's like, God, it wasn't my day. And then you're left scratching your head. And you often don't put together with the what's and the why's and how to move forward. And so picking that apart is super important. Every single pro that does good does that. And it's like a process that everybody goes through. For example, am I happy with my race this weekend? I'm apathetic. Uh, Ryan Atkins, for example, who's not happy with his race, no way. I guarantee he's going back and he's he's doing what we're going to about to talk about. So I think it's very very worthwhile conversation.
0: Yeah, we we get caught up in this weird rock in a hard place after a race where anything that goes right or anything that goes wrong, we almost get a, get caught with throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right where we we have either it was a great that's a success terrible or,
1: phrase by the way you should never throw a baby out anything of anything yeah if you accidentally
0: toss your tub out with your baby in it that's yeah. yeah that's a sign of bad parenting
1: yeah whoever came up with that phrase have you ever
0: forgot your baby in the tub when you trashed it I don't trash
1: tubs very often but um, <laughs> and I've also never thrown a baby out uh, either but anyways yeah. continue good phrase but
0: it's a forest for the trees type scenario you know. Right. It's for example, let's go back to Utah a couple weeks ago, the heat, people struggling with the heat and blaming that for their cramping or their, their race. It's a real excuse. But oftentimes if you attribute all the, it's just blanket statement. The heat screwed me. The altitude screwed me. I'm just going to move forward. You miss opportunities to, to identify little pieces that did not correlate to that. You, you just don't want to throw that baby out with the bathwater of altitude ruined me. I didn't learn anything. Or the heat was so bad, I couldn't even get a viable read on my fitness. Or this weekend, you know, I wasn't ready for X, Y, or Z. And so this race was just lost. And And then the other side, that, that, that's the rock. But the hard place is that almost everyone in their life is tied to social media or have people in their life that are interested in what they're doing. And so you start coming up with this story that you tell everyone. You tell them 10 times, 20 times, in our case, after a race, maybe hundreds of times when people ask. And eventually that whatever narrative you're telling them, you've said enough, it starts to ring true in your own head. Even if you're just like placating them like, oh, it was fine. But, you know, I rolled my ankle a mile too. And that was kind of it from there. And the first time you tell it, you know, that's not the whole story, but you're just trying to get the story out of the way so you can move on. Eventually that you tell it enough. And now that's the piece you remember. And you forget to break down the race appropriately.
1: Yeah. Your own fake narrative becomes true in your mind. And and then you're all messed up moving forward, believing something that isn't even a full truth. Everybody likes to put a bow tie on the end of their race. Just like you said, like, I want to throw something at the wall and let it stick. And it's the altitude that sucked, or it was the humidity in Nashville, or it was this and that. And then you lose all the important pieces that are the important stuff in between. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. It's a very good point. It's also a tricky balance to play. Like, you know, as a, as a pro and heavy quotes, I don't even know how we call ourselves that we shouldn't. Um, we feel obligated to give some sort of report or recap Spartan contracts require us to post within three days before an event and within three days after an event, for example, that's in our contracts and people come up with, you know, you have to have this justification of your performance if it's bad and if it's a good performance you kind of let it slide off with no introspect it's just like an interesting thing that everybody sort of battles with when it comes to explaining themselves and then how to move forward
0: yeah and as coaches we always ask of our athletes to give us more detail on our quality workout days Uh, an easy run I often say you can tell me how far you went how you felt and maybe write what shoes you were in that's probably about it. I only need to know more on those days if there was extenuating circumstances like rolled my ankle or my hamstrings bothering me today or my stomach was upset. Like at that point you have to write down what did I eat that morning so we can track things. But I need my detail on the metric days like our quality runs what paces were you hitting what was your heart rate how did you feel what shoes did you wear what was your breakfast so that we can piece together what is and isn't working well the biggest most specific race workout you can ever do is a race and so it must have the most detail at, in your after action report associated with it and that's really what you need like if you if you do kind of gloss over i had a great race and i'm just taking my confidence and moving on You missed the opportunity to identify why you had a great race Mm -hmm. and to identify, yeah, I took, let's say first place, but that finishing place kind of masked the problems I had during the race. I may have succeeded and hit my goal, but in the moment, there were certain times where I was certainly struggling with something, but then my, my podium picture kind of whitewashes all of that. So we miss opportunities to take the best feedback ever available, which is what race gives us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, um, going back to the old running log, I think um, I got home on Saturday night and I bet you I spent 45 minutes looking through years of logs, tracking performances, combing through the three weeks leading up, good and bad, trying to piece things together a little bit. And that's exactly what we're talking about. I was I was home from the plane ride already, trying to put the puzzle pieces in place moving forward based on history. So, um, if if you're not doing that, you should, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today.
0: So let's let's break it down. Let's just do a live example of how to approach breaking down a race, and that has to start with a recap. We have to know what happened. So give me give me your your walkthrough of this this U.S. National Series stop number three. Yeah, technically stop number three, I think. Asheville that wasn't Asheville. Yeah, did you have a little FOMO this weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love Carolina racing. Those courses suit me. Yeah, it
1: feels a lot like the Midwest uh, yeah. down there. You wake up, and it's sticky, and it's thick, and it's warm. It feels no different than Minnesota or Wisconsin this time of year, so you feel like you walk out your back door, which is nice. It feels like home, even though it's it's not because that's something that like people don't always think about when you're traveling and it's like, ah, something's a little different. Didn't feel different there, which was cool. But, um, you know, where do I start with this one? It, uh, you know, it was a punchy course. That's what I call it. Like that's how I would describe it. Punchy meaning, um, other than the beginning, which was like this long, gradual, nice downhill, it was the only real, like super clean running we really had for any duration, um, it was just full of punchy ups and punchy downs and kind of that annoying grass. That's knee high that you, you got to like drag your feet through or pick up your knees a little to stay, to stay smooth. Um, it was, it was that sort of thing. And it, it's funny that Spartan's gotten this routine. Like if it's not like 2000 feet of vert, they call it a flat course. Like, Oh, it's a mm-hmm. flat course. I'm like, this course has like 800 feet of gain over six miles. Is it flat compared to Utah? Of course, but there wasn't a ton of flat running after the first gradual downhill. So it was it was a lot of like – I wouldn't say there's was a, good, a lot of good opportunities to get in rhythm other than the beginning. So that's how I'd describe the course.
0: A broken rhythm course.
1: Yeah, I would describe it as a broken rhythm course, yeah, which they did a great job of. I would say with the duration and the terrain, they did a really nice job of making it like a legit course. You couldn't just go and coast and have a good performance. It was one that like if you didn't sink your teeth into that course and fight on every little – segment because you had to break it up into segments almost right you mm-hmm. lost a lot of ground which what which what uh ended up happening to me but um that would be like a course description for you
0: I like that so so start it here um gun goes off first what two miles are slightly you're talking like three percent downhill slightly
1: yeah maybe five at times it was just it was flat and then it was down and um you could just open up you know we we came through uh, um i was maybe 3 seconds off the lead through the mile i think my watch dinged at 512 or something for the first mile i think we had three obstacles in there some walls some hurdles things like that so there's no doubt we were running 450 maybe something like that but yeah it was still a controlled like a feel you know what i'm saying because of the slight downhill it was like people were still revving up to know what th- was coming um, but that's how it started. Sorry, it wasn't
0: yeah. an obnoxious start, but it was hot enough to be honest. Oh, it was very honest. Yeah.
1: It was yeah. definitely very honest. Yeah. Chris uh, Chris Brown, who we are having on the podcast later this week, um, made sure it kept honest because he decided to go out real hot. Make us He'll chasing. do that. He sure will. Yeah.
0: Um, where do you want me to go from here, Bracken? Well, so it was just relaxed and intense, but relaxed for two miles.
1: Yeah, I would say I would say that's pretty pretty accurate. I would say a group of like nine of us or so separated, and then there's a few behind that initially. Um, but the real ra- the real race started. We got down. We went through the
0: river. We first. I'm going to stop you then. So you make it two ish miles at a slight decline, running relatively quick, but rhythm running. Couple obstacles. Uh, I think this is our first time. Like this is segment number one we analyzed this in our post-race report. How, how did your body hold up to that? How'd your fitness, how'd your mentality, your training, how did that play?
1: Good, good. I, You know, I have my own I- excuses like everybody else. And that was, um, you know, I, I'm not like super into race excuse. I think we've been vocal about that. I think it's a bunch of trash. I, um, I'd i been sick for like two weeks, got on antibiotics on Wednesday, had not had a good workout in two weeks and and got, so what, four days out, Three days out, I got put on antibiotics.
0: And and I think this is important to note here. Why? Because excuses are excuses, but facts are facts. And if you're doing a true after-action report, everything needs to be included. We assign weight to them afterwards, how weighty these facts are. But at the beginning, it's important to, to frame everything. So, yeah, the facts are... You started up antibiotics because you were that sick four days out from the race, three days out from the race, which historically affects you the higher your heart rate gets. I
1: felt that. um, My my situation – you know, just personally speaking is you know, I got real sick back in the day in college. We all know that story. We don't need to rehash it. But ever since then, it's like anytime I get sick, I get a cold, I get allergies, it turns into a sinus infection. It's like any little thing always ends up in that way. And then it's antibiotics and it's repeat. So I felt like shit for like two weeks. I'd had a good workout got knew I had to go in, got on them. Um, but anyways, point I'm getting at is in three days, antibiotics are a miracle. Like on Friday, I woke up and I'm like, hey, I got a little life back in me. I didn't have a headache in the morning. My throat wasn't hurt. It was all that stuff. And then I'm like, I'm going to be all right. Saturday, woke up, felt good, got good sleep, ate well. I mean, I did everything correctly. There was no extenuating circumstance. I had still been training. And so I felt really good to start the race. I was like, I'd feel better than I have in weeks.
0: Mile one, 450. Mile two, probably slow slightly, but still rolling. Yeah. You haven't been touching those paces in training very often. You've been doing a lot of grindy stuff, a lot of long efforts. How did your body feel at those paces?
1: Um, inefficient. Okay. Afterwards, yeah. I the point I'm sort of making with that is um felt really good. Like my life energy had returned. So like waking up and being tired, I didn't I didn't do that for a few days. But um once the race got real, like once yeah. I had to like dig, once it was like, okay, the race has started, my body was like, you, you got you're wrong, buddy. Like you're, you're just going to hang on for dear life today. And that's what had happened. But,
0: um, so if you were an athlete of mine, my question right now would be those, that, that sub five minute running, Mm -hmm. was that more engine that it impacted or was it more efficiency? Engine. Engine. Okay. So would you think that, to bulletproof for a similar start in West Virginia, potentially we have to add in a little bit more work like that from an efficiency and engine standpoint. Yes. Okay. So that would be the first, first takeaway we'd write down immediately is all right, there is some amount I've got a great base built. I'm strong, but I am missing a bit of that high end.
1: Yeah, that's a great, yeah, it's a great question questioning process and it, let's leave the whole antibiotic situation aside now we're moving on from that let's just talk about the real tangibles that i can control and that is historically what i've noticed is you know if you run flat and hard or downhill and hard for a period of time and yeah. then you're forced to go uphill it hits different it's different than starting uphill it's different than and as soon as we turn to go uphill it was like okay your heart rate's already at 175 and when you turn to go uphill, now it's 185. And my data will show you that's exactly what happened. And, and so that tangible in itself saying, when you have to run hard and you're at threshold going flat or downhill, and then you turn to go uphill, how does your system respond? And that's the first place if I walk myself through the race is where I say, how do I work? How do I rework that? Because if I'm forced to run five, 10 minutes at threshold and then hit a punchy climb, That's where I already, I already know I struggle with that. And that was confirmed this weekend. So that would be the first way I dissected my race.
0: Okay. So then that, that coaching question next would be, that is a difficult skill, obviously. And that's something we can definitely work on in our workouts coming forward. But do you think you arrived at the start of those first climbs at a higher heart rate percentage wise than the people around you? Like, were you working harder than your peers to get to those Hills or did the Hills just affect you because you weren't ready for the transition?
1: Oh, I think it's the latter. Yeah. To be honest, but, um, it's probably a
0: combination of both maybe, but yeah, it's a good question. So transitional Hill works next thing on the list.
1: Yep. And I self admittedly, um, and again, I, I not like I, I don't enjoy talking about myself and my race that much, to be honest, um, because that's not what we want to make this about. But I think it's helpful for takeaways for other people. Um, so today, there's no way yeah, around it. We did the episode it, after it. Yeah, it's true. I I, I haven't done any compromised real running, no transitional work. I had had fun with my trail races and ran. I ran and it was going really well and my fitness was good. And you forget how little things hit it had been since March, since I had done an OCR race. I had done one compromised run workout the week before Asheville, which is clearly not enough. It was just enough to remind my mind what it felt like. Um, and those heart rate spikes are something that uh, you can't forget about. I almost feel a little silly because we preach compromised running. We preach you know broken rhythm running, and I had done very little of it. And that was because I was thoroughly enjoying myself this summer doing not that it was nice. Um, But the sting of that race and the reminder of what that feels like, that little Valsalva maneuver we call when you hold your breath and go and your heart rate spikes and you're deprived of oxygen for a second. Even if you breathe through the monkey bars or pick up the atlas stone or do anything that requires just a little bit different. um, Those were all like, oh. I just uptick two beats a minute. I just uptick two beats a minute. Pretty soon you look down and your heart rate's at 185 and that's well past threshold, which is unsustainable. And you wonder why you're sucking wind. And so the second takeaway was like, dude, you need to get ready for the race demands of that sort. So um, that would be the next, the next in line for me.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's really true that Mm -hmm. there are, two types of people that hit a monkey bar. There's the type that come through refreshed and the cu- type that comes through a little more gas than you entered it, despite not running during it. And when you hit those for the first time, you brace harder and you clench harder and it jacks you up more. When they were wet. Mm. I mean, on the yeah. women's
1: side, you saw a ton of people fall off everything. It was that morning dew. De- so everything had a whole coating of water on it. So it I don't think anybody went through it relaxed. But it adds up when you add that up over, you know, six overhead obstacles and uh, things that require that sort of nature. It's, uh, you know, they're small, you know, death by a thousand cuts is the phrase we use. And those are a few of them. And so pretty soon after a few of those, you are riding five beats a minute higher than you should. And you're wondering why you can't get yourself back to the rhythm that you typically know. And that's OCR. But it was a great reminder. Well, and who of
0: the people around you who handled that the best?
1: Well, the ones that gap me by two plus
0: minutes during the race. Okay. And who would those have been? Who who was around you when you started it and then left you? Uh, Through mile two, two and a half, I was
1: no more than 10 seconds back from the lead. VJ, who was up there, Kempson, Chris, all of them. Uh, Two, two and a half, and then pretty much everybody at that point Mm. um, moved forward slowly and in different paces, but yeah i would say
0: just thinking out loud i wonder how much of that ocr skill work that vj does aerobically plays out and pays him back on days like that he just I mean, mounted and dismounted monkey bars more than anyone else other than maybe logan yeah and if
1: it's like brushing your teeth it's not that hard
0: yeah Okay. So hills start up and down. Did your Hill fitness carry you through that? Cause you've been running strong on Hills around here or had it been eroded by the other pieces by the time you got to that point?
1: Uh, yeah, it was, it was unaccessible. Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, I combed through my heart rate data afterwards. And so I averaged a hundred and I never won a heart rate monitor in a Spartan race. And I said, today's the day, like, let's see what these efforts actually do to me. Um, and I averaged 177 beats a minute for the race, which is four beats over my lactate threshold. And how long was the race? 52 minutes for me.
0: Okay. So you can see how that played out uh, <laughs> with, with a max of 189. That, that's a Before you go on, I think this is important to talk about right here because I would stop you if I was coaching you right now. It's okay. So you average slightly over your theoretical one hour heart rate for 52 minutes. So you're right at the high end of what your true capacity heart rate wise for that race was.
1: I would argue that four beats a minute actually isn't just slightly, but yes.
0: Well, yeah, but in theory, you kept it for eight minutes less than you would have. but, But yeah, either way, you were at the high end of what was sustainable. So we know effort was there. Is this a matter of introducing more high heart rate work? in and amongst running to be able to handle it better? Or is this a question of you maybe hit 185 or 189 earlier than some other people did, which forced you to have to trail off? Was it a tolerance thing or was it a, I spiked too early?
1: I already looked at that as well. Okay, Um, It is a spending more time in that past lactate threshold zone.
0: So instead of averaging 174, it was, I had too much upper 80s and didn't have enough sticking in the low 170s? 100%. Things spiked you too much?
1: Well, it's both. But I would say that spending time in training where I get into 173 plus and sit there for a while, anytime I typically breach that would be in short, spicy intervals. And once it breaches that, it has the chance to come down right away versus getting into it and then like. Enjoying it in quotes for a while. So I would say that would be it. Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. Continue with your heart rate talk.
1: Uh, where was I going with that? Oh, um, so heart rate average of 177, Max 189. Um, you know what that you know, what that tells me is like, for example, in these trail races that I have done, uh, the last three were all two hours or longer. It was a 168 average, a 170 average, and a 172 average. Um which doesn't sound like that much of a difference from 177. But tell (laughs) your physiological body that.
0: It's the straw that breaks the camel's back there.
1: Yeah. And so understanding that I've been going out and doing these grindy workouts. Let's go do a long grindy session where I spend 40 minutes of quality in that run session. Now it's, okay, I need to get myself above that point of comfortability. And even if it's for shorter reps, that means I need to get into that and work that longer at the higher rate. So instead of 40 minutes of quality work, maybe I do 20, but all those get me to 175 or above because my my system is just not familiar as it should be. I I like my chances on a longer course where I can control that early. On this one, once you breach, as you know, you're on borrowed time when you breach your, your threshold. And so um, it taught me that although I do believe my stay power is good, stay power is shit if you've burnt your candle out and all your matches too early. So that's uh, that's the big takeaway is, is shortening the duration of intensity in training and higher, higher intensity um, is going to move my needle further.
0: Well, Athlete Kirk, the good news is that you built this intentionally. You front-loaded sure. your season with base and threshold work. And that as we're approaching the quote-unquote championship weeks and months of the year – this is the natural time to in, kind of enhance your fitness, shoot it forward with some more of this spicy work and, and tie it all together. So while it's uncomfortable to feel that on course, it's also exactly what you'd expect to feel on course. Yeah. Train for a two and a half hour race and race a 60 minute race. And yeah, you're going to find some, you're going to see God as you like to put it. You're going to, you're going to get to that point out there. So that's, that's disappointing, but it's also encouraging. You're ready for the next stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It's, I think the biggest thing for those who, I guess, as I'm understanding, we have a good balance of runners and OCR runners that now listen. So I think our audience is split, but for those of you who have not run OCR before um, I'll tell you what I had not run OCR, let's say in quotes for like four months and it is a smack in the face if you are not ready for it. You understand why this this sport is so, like, I don't know, like glorified. Like We like to pride ourselves on being gritty and tough and raw and, you know, aggressive. And you're out there and know what it was. It was gritty and raw and tough and aggressive. And if you weren't ready for all of those things and to handle being smacked across the head with a hammer every so often – like you just, you didn't perform to your potential. And it was like such a good reminder of that. Like we had Jacksonville earlier in the year and it wasn't one of those courses that could really like knock you over. Sure. It was sticky and muddy and sloppy, but you weren't going to hit anything that like broke you. Right. You were still running threshold. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Vegas and it was the same thing. There's nothing there that's going to break you. I didn't run Utah, which certainly opportunities to be broken as we found out. But, um, it's one of those things where like, yeah, you just got to be ready for the, the up and down and the smacks and not feeling your best and running your best. And that's like what the sport is like, Oh, I didn't feel my best today. No shit. Nobody feels their best today. That's how OCR works. You mm-hmm. go out there and you take your lumps because it always gets you to that place where you feel like a piece of shit. And so that was like really nice and refreshing to feel.
0: A good reminder. Yeah. We spent four months plus working on never tipping. Yeah, You you ran your first ultra, then you ran your, your second real long trail race, and then a third. And your goal was to stay as high as you could get without ever tipping. And then you get to a race where the real talent lies in slightly tipping and getting back under control, and then slightly tip and get back under control. And that requires specific training for that. And so your fitness responded to what your original goal was. But West Virginia... Is another race that you can you can crack apart on because there's a lot of punchy little pieces in there. So I think, yeah, identifying how you're going to introduce some mid-workout spikes to avoid fully tipping when your heart rate shoots up is is a skill to absolutely incorporate moving forward.
1: Oh yeah, I have no regrets about my training. West Virginia has been my my number one, my sights. Asheville yeah. was like, a, you know, a nice stepping stone on the way, but not a huge priority. So, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change change any of that not without, without question, yeah.
0: If West Virginia goes well, it's because Asheville didn't. Potentially. I mean, you, sh- you built long-term.
1: But you should be able to do well in both, but yes.
0: Yeah, but you went very much more polarized than you have in the past in terms of the well-roundedness of your quality days you pretty much stuck to one end of the pole Hundred percent one spot on the pole rather yep. than keeping these little other pieces in there. So you can still have that skill. You went very much all in on a certain skill.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, the thing is though, is like when you finish a race, and this is something that I often ask myself when a race is over, I was out in the middle of that race and I started to really suffer. Like I actually wasn't having very much fun by mile three. In fact, I was having no fun. And then we talk about the sport being like type two fun. Like, oh, it was fun afterwards. Whatever type three fun is, I guess that's what I had out there, right? It was, I didn't have fun. I didn't enjoy myself once I was really in it because it just sucked. It just wasn't that fun. And I know it will be fun again another day. So like, you know, the consistency episode we had last week will always ring true for me, but I was there and I was suffering and I was watching people's backs get slightly further away. I was fighting with Mark Godet for a bit and he slowly just became like, you don't even notice it, right? They just slowly drift away. I had my eyes on Logan Broadbent and he slowly d- drifted away. And I'm going up a hill feeling sorry for myself. Like I'm like, I looked at my heart rate and I was at 187 or something. I was like, oh, this is bad. Like I'm not I'm not going to play hero today. Like if I'm at 187, there's nowhere to go right now. Like I'm, I'm done. It's hanging on. And I thought you're going to take the place you deserve today. I said, you're going to finish where you deserve. That's what came to my head. You're right where you deserve today, which is a humbling thing to think in the middle of a race when you know you're capable of more and you go, I don't deserve better than this. This is what I deserve today. I had that realization a number of times. I don't know if you've ever been in a race and had that across the oh, yeah. finish line. I was like, how do I feel sorry for myself? This is what I deserve. This is what my training has led me to. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting, interesting thought. I've never had that thought like mid race. I've had it after races, but mid race, I was like, oh, yeah, you might get passed by Gawiski who's breathing down your back and you deserve that too. So it's like an interesting thought.
0: I've had that moment with Brian twice. <laughs> really? Or <laughs> late race, he passes me and it's like, yep. hmm. That's probably his rightful spot. I'm going to try to fight him for it, but there's a reason he's moving past right now. So then last stage of the race flattens back out. You finish down. You've got your gauntlet of obstacles towards the end. How did that go for you? Fine. Fine.
1: (laughs) Fine. Uh, Somebody much wiser than me once told me that when someone says fine, it's an acronym for feelings inside, not explained, right?
0: Okay.
1: I would say I would say that would be accurate and fine, meaning like I wasn't attacking anymore. I was taking two seconds to catch my breath before hopping on monkey bars. I was taking like the things were like I had stopped fighting. I had I had started surviving. And so it was fine. That's exactly how I want to describe it. If you go back and look at the Strava data, I think there's a Strava segment like spear throw to finish or monkey bars to finish or whatever it is. And even though I came sprinting home the last quarter mile, like I like a fifteenth fastest time in the field on okay. that segment.
0: Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not impressive. Was that all that was left? Or if you had been because you took 10th? Ninth. Or ninth. Ninth. If you had been in second at that point rather than 10th, shooting for first rather than shooting for ninth, could you have cut time off that section? Or was that the was that all that was left? That was it. Okay.
1: I have no regret. I have no regrets. No ill will. I'm not questioning my toughness as an athlete or if I'm soft or weak. No, that was physiologically it.
0: So when you say you weren't fighting it because you weren't able to fight, it's not that you had said, "Ah, oh, that ship sailed. I'll just walk it in." The button's already been pushed, mate. Got it. Okay. You, you remember that one? Oh, I remember that one. The button's been pushed. There's no decision left. Who said that to you? That was Matt. Uh, James Appleton. Is James Appleton or Matt Murphy? I can't remember. One of the two? Yeah.
1: You know what you you also forget about in OCR is when you you start coming back, we will call it. And Mm -hmm. I rarely come back in races. It's not typically my MO, but in this one it was. Um, You don't just like come back. It's not like seconds. It's like tens of seconds or minutes like when you crack you don't soft crack you hard crack to the point where like it becomes ugly and you're that snotty crying girl with mascara running at the bar cracked like you're yeah. done it's not pretty and so looking at the time gaps is incredible when you crack in this sport with some sort of undulation it was yeah. it was just uh you know my my aorta was cut you know <laughs> that's how it went
0: when we talk coming back, that literally means there's, some, there's a group of people running and another group ahead of them, and eventually someone starts to fall back and they just come back to you. Yep. Like You're doing your thing. You're not necessarily even increasing, but people are starting to come back to you. Sometimes yep. it is because you're increasing. So Kirk usually is gobbling up people who are coming back to him. But today or yesterday, he was coming back to people who are still accelerating. Sure was, Bracken. Sure was. It's a terrible feeling when you realize there's nowhere to go but backwards from here.
1: That's how it felt. Until Brian Gawiski didn't know I was behind him, coming into the finishing gauntlet, and that sand was just soft enough, Bracken, where he couldn't feel the hear the pitter patter of my little footsteps coming up <laughs> behind him. And he had he had no warning that I was coming. And I just sniped him at the end without he had no idea I felt. Oh, he looks
0: so dejected.
1: <laughs> oh, Brian, I love you, buddy. I'm sorry about that. I told him sorry after the race. I've never said sorry to somebody after beating them after a race, but I knew I kind of cheated that one a little. You didn't cheat
0: anything. He gave you the opportunity to take it, and you took it. Yeah,
1: but okay. Yeah does that does that follow your line of questioning? Okay. Yeah. I th- so I if- that, well, I was going to say I think after talking to my athletes, athletes with great races, a number of them that crushed, and I have some that were apathetic, and some that were. Uh, disappointed as every race goes. But um, I think a lot more people, uh, this course did hit. You watch people cross the finish line. I mean, Annie Dooby crossed the finish line, you know, Wrecked. correct. Ryan Kempson crossed the finish line and looked like he was going to heave out his breakfast because uh, something about the course, like sure. It wasn't long. Sure. It wasn't on paper that difficult. Which is always worse. But if you went out and raced it, if you went out and truly raced it, no matter what the course is, it's going to be miserable. And, they added a real nice punchy like 100 150 foot climb at the end before the flat finishing gauntlet it put everybody up to their red line and then it forced them to try to run fast through the end and everybody cracked and so I think a lot of people are out there feeling like wow I went to the well and I didn't have many decisions to make in the later stages of the race so I don't think it's an uncommon feeling no I don't think so Mm -mm. so
0: we've got we've got the blueprint of your race now Got got the what went right, what went wrong, some things to work on. Now, this is the tricky part because a true professional athlete, which whatever, they're above us somewhere. But a, a professional mind has to look at every factor in a race. So they can't not make excuses, but they can't lead with excuses. So like we said earlier, they have to just be facts. So here are the facts. You were training for a different style of race intentionally. You had a sinus infection where on antibiotics and now we take those and we kind of like cast that over the whole, like, like this is a, a sluice box here. We yep. put that in the and we, we, we sluice it around and we let the water shake through and what sticks. So <laughs> let's start with the training based off of higher volume, longer duration, grindy type workouts. How much of the race can be blamed on that? And how much of this is, is that irrelevant? How much did your training set you up for this race?
1: All of it. Well, first of all, I would like to say that if you're listening and you've run through a myriad of excuses in your head as to why things haven't gone well, like shame on you, (laughs) I guess, like, like let's, let's cast those aside. Let's not my like, oh, I was on antibiotics or, oh, I had a, I was training for longer, grindier stuff. Like that's all bullshit. That's garbage. Those are those are irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. You didn't get much sleep before. Well, either did Mark Batras, and he took third. Okay, Mm -hmm. you. All of these other things, like you got to just cast all those things you talked about aside because those are in those I can't do anything with. Those aren't going to teach me anything. Like throw that out. And then strip it down to like the the
0: specifics is what you're asking, basically. Yes, yeah, we're looking at this like a a crime scene investigator. Like uh, the (laughs) the perp came in with a big block of volume and threshold training and attempted to rob first place from people on this course. (laughs) Like, did, did does this correlation match? So does that match? Does your training? Did your training give you the intended result? the expected result.
1: Well, before I answer that, like I also want to say that you made a really good point earlier about like this fake narrative people make up in their heads, like why didn't the race go well? And it's easy for me to be like, oh, I was training for longer stuff or oh, I wasn't feeling well. And then I learn nothing. I take nothing moving forward. I don't change a thing and hope that I just like roll the dice and get lucky next time because I won't mm-hmm. be sick or I, da da da. So like, I just think it's super important for people to look at themselves hard, throw out whatever fake narrative is in their head and then break it down like you're talking about. So like if you're going to take it away, like you're walking me through a great process, but the point is, is like all that other stuff isn't going to serve you moving forward. The race excuses, the no sleep, the bad eating. So now we're has stripped to Be down
0: dispassionate. Back. Exactly. Nothing that you're putting in this breakdown can be a crutch. It has to be justifiable. So your fitness, did it give you the result that it should have? Did you race up to your, your training fitness for a 50 minute race?
1: I think I did. Unfortunately. Yes.
0: And, And so the takeaway there is we're set up for the next block of training. We don't need to hit the emergency switch because this was foreseeable.
1: Yeah. We always like to kid ourselves as athletes, right? We always like to dream best case scenario, We always like to think our, you know, we preach stay power like that is king. It's going to carry me through. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you get out there and you feel it and you're like, oh, that stay power can stay five beats a minute lower than this, but it can't stay here. So um, you're right. No, no emergency button needs to be pushed. And for anybody who didn't have a great race, that's no, no emergency button needs to be pushed. Yeah.
0: It's a shift of focus. That being said now for next year, For the next time you or one of your athletes is in this situation, would you change this? Or are there little pieces you would consider putting into place so that you can have your cake and eat it too? To be ready for your West Virginia culmination, but still be able to be maybe just a bit more skillful in this race? Absolutely. And what would that be? Because these are the important things to get down on paper now, whether you use them now or not. At some point, you're gonna be glad these are down when you're listening to this episode and you're writing your own down. You'll never regret having these specifics down,
1: yeah um you know i'm very i've been become very good at like compartmentalizing my training, meaning like today I'm going to go out and do an eight mile tempo run, and then tomorrow I'm going to go out and do intervals or a quality long run. I'm very poor at combining the two meaning six eight mile tempo well that's gonna take me. 40 some minutes why don't you go do a 40 some minute tempo run on the ski hill why don't you combine instead of separating them like mesh them together which is what the race is and so the biggest the first takeaway is well i I do very well conceptually with like separating today i'm focusing on vert today i'm focusing on flat speed and efficiency it's combining the two together because that's what racing is so Um, first thing is like, bring those together and I can still have my cake and eat it too. I can still have my stay power, but I also can be more ready for the tasks at hand. So, um, that would be the biggest takeaway I would say and in like the first takeaway for sure. That answers your question.
0: Yeah, I like that. So, so the, the antibiotic thing, the, the, um, sinus, uh, sinus infection is the other big piece we need to sluice through. So. Put that in the sluice box, shake it around, put some water through it. How much of that sticks? How much did that impact the things that went wrong? We'll never know. I will say that. Did it impact your race?
1: I mean, I've had bad races without being on antibiotics and sinus that, No, no, no. I
0: want a, I want a black and white answer. Did it impact impact your race negatively? Yes or no? Yeah. Okay. So with the yes the The hills hitting you harder than usual, or the the like those jagged spikes in heart rate, would that have happened either way, or was that solely the fault of the the viral load in your body
1: bacterial load bracken bacterial load sorry you better be um my heart rate didn't come down it just it just it didn't respond. Like okay. normally would and I have to imagine that's just an overload of the system. Uh, the hardest I've worked Bracken, I kid you not in recent times is a 17 mile trail race. It took me two hours uh, this spring and I physically and mentally worked harder. harder. Like my body was there that day. My mind was there that day. And I worked hard, hard, harder than anything else I've done this year. And I average 168 beats a minute, but perspectively that was hands down my best performance without question. Okay. And this race was 10 beats a minute higher. And I feel like I didn't even breach my potential like I did earlier this year. So what that tells me is that like, um, I think I was just, I, I forgot to like shift gears on the manual car and just stuck in that like lower gear and just trying to push the throttle down on something when it needed to be shifted. And I couldn't, if that makes sense. So, um, I felt like it, it was, I was revved up and I had no control over, I had no like fourth or fifth gear where normally I would. And then my rev limiter would reset, you know, when I shift gears, it was like, it didn't didn't happen. I was forced to run the whole race in third instead of fifth. So sure. I guess I'll answer. I'll say the yes.
0: Is that, so is it something that wouldn't have happened without the infection or did the infection just hasten or exaggerate what was going to happen regardless?
1: Oh, exaggerate for sure. My destiny was my destiny. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So the important piece here is to understand your fitness is not as maybe shaky as it felt on course, but it still has some areas of wobble that have to be shorn up. Like where we're not going to throw the baby out. We're not going to say the virus caused you, or sorry, the virus, the bacterial infection caused you to, to blow up early, but it may have... Cause you to blow up harder earlier than you would have normally.
1: 100%. Very fair. okay. Oh, yeah. There wasn't... The trajectory of my race is going to be the trajectory of my race regardless. And for those of you listening, how many of you have been sick and went out and still put it together? I have too. It has nothing... It has very little to do with that. It has everything to do with the lead up.
0: So does that change or not change your... The urgency at which you switch up some of your workouts. Are you saying, you know what? I know some of this was a sinus infection, so I don't need to totally switch gears. Or is it, listen, we're going to transition our training anyways, but it showed that maybe I have to do it a little earlier and more intensely than I needed to anyways.
1: If there was another super in a month, it'd be a different story, but there's a beast. Okay. So some tweaks, yes, for sure. Some tweaks, absolutely. I actually... Had written my training block. Um, I would, I think, like seven weeks ago through West Virginia. My next four weeks is completely rewritten. Um, not. Dr-
0: you said not drastically,
1: right? But um, I would say the location of my workouts have changed mm. much more than the workout itself, if that makes sense to you. So, you know, you get a workout and and you say this is the prescription. It's mile repeats today. And this is just an example, but well, a mile repeat takes me roughly five minutes, but do I need to go to the flat road or track and go do that? Is that going to serve my purpose? Or do I need to do to the mile repeats? Do I need to do five minute repeats at the ski hill? And so that sort of shift.
0: That's what I want to hear. That's what I want people to hear is that this is how you take a fact And avoid it from being an an excuse. Because as soon as you make an excuse, it lets you relax a little bit and say, ah, yeah, it wasn't really my fault. And as soon as it's not your fault, it's not as much on you to fix it. If you can pass the blame, then wherever it gets passed to, it's on that thing to take responsibility for fixing it. So I love the idea that, yes, this infection absolutely hastened my blowing up but I was probably going to blow up anyway. So I'm not going to totally change my training, but I still do remember what that felt like. And so the plan is good, but I need to switch where I do my workouts. That's an intelligent measured reaction to a race. Throwing out the training plan and making a whole new one doesn't really make sense because you had a scope to your season in mind and you followed it this far. You might as well see it through. But like you said, you can do the same work, but change the skill emphasis on the workouts and be ready for what's next. And I really like that. I think that's the takeaway people need is don't panic, reload.
1: Well, it's, you know, so we started from the beginning, right? And what did we say? We said, you know, I know I struggle with running fast and flat and my heart rate gets up and then I need to climb. Because what happens when you climb? Your heart rate goes up even more, no matter what you're doing, Right. So everybody probably gets hit pretty hard with that, but I feel like me especially. So what do you what do you what do you do with that, right? Like and and then I, and then you think like, well, uh, uh, the answer is like the writing's on the wall. It's well, I can I can go from a five minute tempo run at the base of my ski hill, and then finish with two reps up and down when I'm already already thrashed. And simulate those weak points. And if anything, if it doesn't even move the physiological needle, it at least moves the familiarity with the feeling needle. And that's as important as anything, too. And that's the same thing with the obstacles and the transition and the little ticks in heart rate when you go through something that you're not used to when you're just purely running. And so um, I, I got to imagine I'm not alone after a race going, man, like I, my heart rate got up and out of control and then I couldn't get it back. Well, great. But then, the tangibles are what we're outlining. It's, it's fixing those things. So mm-hmm. that, that that's, that's really my biggest, my biggest takeaway is, is those two things, flat running and incline running the transition of those two things. And then um, like just getting comfortable with that uptick in heart rate and getting back to a workable rate, I think is those are the two big things.
0: I like that. And, and I think it's important to identify what went well too, because it's easy the next time around to add some of the skill work in and maybe not value some of the things that you had done correctly. So you talked about one of your strengths was to identify the focus of each day and focus on it. And I know you had a very good set of carries out there. Your heavy carries, even though you haven't worked them, was as good as anyone, correct? Yeah, they were right in the mix,
1: if not better than most. Yeah.
0: So what did you do that allowed you to have that success despite not doing the carries? Because I think that's key. When you haven't done it, you've done something else that indirectly allowed allowed you to do that. But that indirect training skill is the easy one to get wrong the next time. Right. Because it's easy to say, I put in a hill block. I had great hills. But it's a little harder to say, I didn't put in a hill block, but I still had good hills. I wonder if it was because I did more single leg power out put work in the gym. I did more Bulgarian split squats and walking lunges. But if you don't identify, it's like, well, I don't need hill work to do well at hills and next training block. Maybe you're in a different lifting mode and then you have a terrible hill race and then you haven't learned anything really, unless you can go all the way back through two years and identify the differences.
1: Yeah. I mean, 20 years of strength training (laughs) is as simple as that. It's just as simple as 20 years of work. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I I'm on my foundational strength work twice a week and, um, and and I wasn't even able to access my fitness on those carries. It was survival mode and survival mode still had me like in the mix. That's where I lost the least amount of ground on everybody. It was the damn carries of all things. And I was probably suffering as much or more than anybody, but it just comes down to not losing sight of your foundational strength work like that. Just that like clotted the bleeding slightly, you know, subtly.
0: So then uh, that begs the question, is that something you're going to continue with as your season progresses? Or are you going to say, listen, if I'm bleeding out in other areas and I didn't hear, as I shore up the other areas, maybe I just put a little carry emphasis in here and now suddenly people have to chase me on it. Like, is this going to be a place that you're going to work on and try to be Stealing time back there, or are you confident in putting your effort into other places and maintaining your 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 good performance there?
1: Well, we're missing a key question here. And the key question is how did you feel after your carry?
0: Okay. That is a good question. And how did you feel after that
1: carry? <laughs> Like dog shit, Bragging. Okay. So so the impact had nothing to do with the carry, but then you gotta think of well, what happened to me after and how much time do I think I gave away in the subsequent minutes? And the answer was enough where it needs to be worked. Okay. The transition. So that would be like my cheater answer to your question. The answer is yes, I will be working them, but not because of the carry itself, but because of the transitional piece of the puzzle.
0: That's a that's a good perspective that we lose often is we look a little bit too finely at, at the problem and say, I didn't struggle there. And mm-hmm. so that's that's a strength of mine. But did I struggle within the next two to four or six minutes after that? If the answer is yes, the quick reaction is to say the place I struggled was my problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe the step back answer is, Maybe the place I struggled is a result of something I thought I did well prior to it. I can look back to a race I had where I thought I absolutely crushed a carry. And everyone said it was so damaging. And I thought, no, I had an awesome carry. I had the second fastest carry in the whole field there. It was awesome. But my next mile sucked. And I thought my run fitness is lacking. And in hindsight, I overreved the carry. And Mm -hmm. I didn't get a read on my on my run fitness because I was telling myself I was doing so well because I was gaining time on the carry. I wasn't even cognizant of the fact that what I gained 15 seconds on the carry and lost 30 on the next mile and a half of running. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of that baby bathwater thing we're talking about. The forest for the trees is that we have to be really, really black and white on what caused everything so that you don't accidentally take the wrong takeaway from your race. Cause like you said, it'd be really easy to say my carries are on point, but everything after that was just, my fitness wasn't there.
1: Yeah. But I'm not learning anything by watching, looking at the Strava data and being like, oh, I didn't lose time there. So I'm fine, but I'm looking at the wrong data. Uh, this was, what is this forest in the trees uh, saying to, uh, what does that mean?
0: Can't see the trees for the forest or you can't see the forest for the trees. Man, I, I, I'd i love to see the forest, but this tree's blocking my view. That, that, you haven't heard
1: that? It's
0: like an oxymoron a little bit, huh? Yeah, where people are so focused on one thing that they miss the big picture.
1: Oh, that's what that means. All right.
0: Yeah, so when someone says forest for the trees, means you can't see the forest because the trees are in the way. Or you can't see that, that beautiful tree because all you see is the, the vast forest. It works both ways, but yeah, forest for the trees.
1: All right. How ironic, huh? Um, Alanis should have used that in her song. She should have. That would have been a good one. I, um, this was brought to light to me, what you were saying about, um, overextending yourself on like a carry and then it impacting something afterwards. And I was going back watching old Asheville races, getting ready for this. Yeah. You know, as soon as I start saying it, you're going to know where I'm going with this, but, um, I was watching the 2017 race on the assault bite this last week. And Atkins and Hobie were in a battle and Atkins came into the bucket carry 15, 15 seconds, 10, 15 seconds behind Hobie. And they went up this long, grueling bucket carry and Atkins pops out five seconds ahead of Hobie. He made up 15 or 20 seconds. And as soon as they turn around to go run back up that hill without that bucket, Hobie passed Atkins like he had a boat anchor tied to his ankle. And it was Mm -hmm. like, well, everything you did there, Atkins, was great. Like kudos to you for the effort. But you just burnt your last match, and now you have no more. And then Hobie ran away with it for the yeah. rest of the race. It was the last time Atkins saw the lead. That's a classic example that we need to take a harder look at. And sure, Atkins was throwing punches because he should have at that point. Yeah. But it, it cost it potentially cost him the race. I hate to say it. And so, it's uh, that was my big my big takeaway.
0: Yeah, the the idea of my strength is the place I push the hardest is a tough one to balance. You right. know you can make up time on someone, but you have to do it within the confines of the rules of the race, which is don't tip over. Exactly. But when you're feeding off that energy of passing someone, it's... It's a difficult thing not to do. So anyways, the strategy is there, but also that takeaway. You can't be blinded by your successes or your failures. You have to see, just like we said, your race isn't necessarily what you did for the three weeks prior. It's what you did for the 33 weeks prior. Same thing. And that obstacle isn't what you did in the obstacle. It's what you did in the three previous obstacles or three previous miles prior. That's why people who fail a rig at the end of the race don't necessarily have bad grip strength. It's They haven't been on a bar when they're, when their heart rate's at 190 before, it was the previous mile of downhill that failed that rig. It wasn't the, it wasn't the rig. You see at the end of a race where someone can't sprint with someone else and like, Oh, my foot speed's just lacking. Like, no, you could go out and run a 13 second hundred comfortably any day of the week, but you closed in 17 seconds because your legs are anchors. It's not a Mm -hmm. foot speed issue. It's what happened prior to that point. And then it's just, these are all reminders that we have to be dispassionate, and have a wide field lens when we start looking at our race and then get finer rather than start with our fine lens of those, that virus and that uh, went bad and that carry went well. And you would have left with a totally different race report than if you, how you actually did. Yeah. I keep saying virus. Uh,
1: you're into, you're into the virus thing. We've had a, the word virus has been kind of prevalent this last two years. So maybe it's just now it's just in the back of your head.
0: Got viral loads on my brain. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um, I think I think the big the big takeaway, like if you're gonna simplify this conversation, and I don't like this this episode is necessarily about like myself or my own race, like you know how I feel about talking about ourselves on this podcast, mm-hmm. but the, the biggest thing is like like strip your excuses, wash those all any excuse you think you can make, list them out, and then like crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. And then start like breaking down the race. Like what happened uh, Underhydrated? throw it out. This, throw it out. Those are your fitness is still your fitness. Two hours of sleep. Sure. It's going to affect you a little bit one way or the other, but like there's things would have still hit you the same if things have gone perfectly or poorly just to a lesser or a more degree. So yeah. strip out your race excuses, strip out everything that went wrong and then break it down. And then once you have your your bullet points, then say, okay, so how do I address those in training moving forward? And it's that simple. But I think your point is the best. One of the best we've heard in a while, just like our own like delusional narrative that we create in our head as to why things didn't go how we want. And then we don't learn anything from it. So that's that's I think the biggest thing I want people to get out of this conversation.
0: Yeah. And, And Kirk, I've done it. I've had these races and we talked with TJ of, you know, flying home after the race, thinking of what you're going to tell your loved ones. And after Mm -hmm. you've told a few people, sometimes you only do it to soften the story for them. Cause you don't want them to know how miserable you were or how disappointed you are in yourself. But other times it's to make yourself feel better or not look like you failed as much as something failed you. But I've been there. I've made those excuses. There were times in a race where I got a calf cramp or something like that knowing full well that cramp was a relief because I had already started to fade. Mm. Like, oh, thank goodness I cramped because I crapped a half mile ago. But now I have visual evidence that something wrong is going. And by the end of the, the weekend, you've told 15 people your calf cramped. And now you go back to do your, your training plan. And you're like, you know what? I just got to focus a little bit more on my calves, and my hydration, and I'm good to go. You've already forget the fact that you had packed it in mentally a half mile earlier. And that happened because your uphill game was trash. And what ends up happening is your next training plan, you're testing out $80 worth of electrolytes. You're doing a bunch of calf raises. (laughs) Mm -hmm. that, that, That does not correlate, but that's how that disconnect works in our brains. We are terrible witnesses. We are super unreliable super unreliable. And that is why the first thing you have to do when you finish a race is get everything down on paper as soon as you can before your own mind starts to play tricks with you.
1: You know, I got back to the hotel room. I had to leave early for a flight and I bring my running log with me and I bring like my daily planner and all that. And I still had my shoes on full of mud. I had, I w- my shorts were soaking wet. I went and sat down on my one chair in the hotel room. I opened my running log and I wrote my race report before I even got in the shower, or cleaned the the mud out of my undies. I like it because that, because it's important. And that was, that was real. I wouldn't be able to recall that uh, today necessarily. So it's a good point you make. And I think that's something
0: to take away. I'm going to scroll through my, my notes on my phone here.
1: All right. I can see you're doing that. I thought you just weren't paying attention to me over here. I mean, it's a bit of
0: both. But I, I, at some point on the flight, on every flight home, I, I make a note in here. Even if I've already done my race report, no matter what, I just, I feel like that's my most honest time. You're sitting there in this, this tube in the sky filled with a bunch of strangers, just you and your thoughts, and there's nothing to do for a while. And I just sit there and I just let, I feel by the time I'm on the plane, the negative or positive emotions from the actual result and the negative or positive emotions of being back home in a comfort area are both subsided to as neutral as a point as they're ever going to be.
1: Sure.
0: A couple miles up in the sky, you're just in this neutral territory, and you can just be honest with yourself. And that's when I make these notes. So I just want to go back and see what my last note was from my last race. I'm waiting. Well, I take a lot of notes, Kirk. I'm going to have to cut this thing down. I'm feeling patient. You're feeling patient? Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm pulling out my running log right now. That's what we're going to do. You waiting for a good one or what?
0: No, a lot of these then build into, so what's next? But I want to find the original takeaways. Okay. This is after Jacksonville. This is where I only made it one mile into the race before my calf blew up. But I had already felt enough that I wanted to get it down on paper before the calf tear narrative took over and I didn't remember those little early warning signs. High-end work makes submaximal work much easier. Mm-hmm. Remember this. Example, if you increase your bench from 175 to 225, repping 135 becomes way easier even without doing endurance work. Same thing happens with speed. So I was already telling myself that that fast running at the beginning of the race would feel much, much easier if I worked at much, much higher rates in training. If you remember, I did speed block, but I didn't go faster than 3K work. And I did a lot of compromised running, but I hadn't done enough really, truly fast stuff to feel super comfortable at 3K and 5K work. Your lactate threshold determines your race fitness. Everything else reverts to that. Again, I only made it a mile. And I was already mm-hmm. realizing as the race settles in and your legs start to know what's happening, your lactate threshold determines your trajectory in these type of races.
1: But, but you're but just interrupt real quick, you're bringing yourself back to center already. After yep. something that could be clouded by a million other things, you're, you, this is your n- nucleus of everything. And I just, I, I appreciate that.
0: Smart. Start to play around with extended speech, sweet spot work take the work you can already do and extend the time you can do it for. It's going to make me way more efficient when we finally get around to beast races. Yeah. So this was a one mile snapshot of a three mile race. And I could already feel that my staying power is not going to be there for a 13 mile race. Be- not because mm-hmm. I felt my fitness change, but because by three quarters of a mile in, I already found myself thinking, Ooh, some of these obstacles are going to be tough at the end because I'm already digging myself a ditch. So these are takeaways off of one, what, what was I out there for? Six minutes, Kirk?
1: (laughs) I think somebody said,
0: maybe less. And then start to alternate more standard and compromised workouts, even on traditional speed work. Just like what you said, do my Mm -hmm. traditional work, but add the skill component to it. So that's, those are pretty specific. Some are vague, but pretty specific takeaways to a race. I didn't even complete but those are the type of reminders that i need coming out of places that you can't you can't mistake the forest for the trees.
1: No, i understand that saying.
0: Should should i read my race my race
1: uh my yes. summary? All right. So Spart National, it's underlined. It's in blue. Oh. So so blue is the color i use for quality days or races. So blue is blue is like the championship ribbon color, you know? So that's why i use blue.
0: The prize hog at the county fair, and I'm,
1: and I'm colorblind, and blue just stands <laughs> out to me more than anything. It says Spartan Nashville, ninth place overall with a time of fifty-two thirty-six, four minutes behind VJ. Unacceptable. <laughs> That's the start, because four minutes behind the winner in a fifty-two minute race is absolutely unacceptable. We call ourselves pros, and I'm out there thinking I'm going to potentially have the fitness to podium. Four minutes might as well be four hours. It's a different planet. Correct. So, so anyways, uh, four minutes behind VJ, unacceptable. Really suffered today with my heart rate jacked and redlined for mile two and a half on. Just survived out there, if I'm being honest with myself. Frustrated with my health and not feeling well. But, there's the but, and it's underlined yeah. and in capital letters. But I wasn't ready for today regardless. It says, I just absolutely couldn't sustain that high of a heart rate and undulating up and down. I wasn't ready. I'm proud of how I grinded it out today. Average heart rate was 177 BPM with a max of 189. Hung on and want to hit one of these races where I actually feel well, onward, underlined exclamation point. It doesn't say everything, but it says enough, right? It does. It does. I did acknowledge the health thing, but I, I gave myself some tangibles on top of that. You're still scrolling through your notes, aren't you? You got some more nuggets in there.
0: I, I don't. I'm not even going to say any of them, but I realize I need to go back and revisit some of my, my notes because there's some, some raw emotion in there that leads to harsh realities, and I think you've got to fill your training log with harsh realities.
1: That's a, it's a vulnerable thing to share those things because those are the things first of all that, I don't know. I, I think half of the people out there leave a lot on the table by not going back and combing through the reality of their situation, their race, their workouts. It's like, it's, you spend all this time doing it and traveling and racing and training, and then you don't like fully process. And I just feel like that's like a very simple step in this whole thing that can lead to success in the future. And so it's like important to hear that. I don't know, people do that and you should do that too. You're even just hearing your, your takeaways from a race where you didn't even finish. (laughs) I can't imagine your takeaways from a race.
0: You did. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, well, those are actually, those get more specific because you feel it all, but those were, it was a different type of takeaway. I, you read your, your journal entry. I read my takeaways after I'd already done my journal entry, Got it. but you, you want a short emotional journal entry.
1: I would love one.
0: Tahoe. Ooh, the DNF ultra. The DNF ultra, I raced for what, four hours and 28 minutes and dnf I'm the weakest tough person I know. Oof. I'm only tough when things are going well. And I'm so tough when things are going well, that it masks how weak I am when things are not going well.
1: Oof. You wrote that.
0: Yeah. Wow. I, and, and think about that. Is that the whole, is that the whole note or is there no, more? That, that's how it starts. To me, that was the most important takeaway, Wow, which was I can be so tough if I'm in the mix for a race. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if I've lost a race that I was in the mix at the end in a long time, probably five years since I've lost a race. I had an opportunity to win, Mm. but because I'm willing to go through anything in those moments, those are the moments I remember And I fail to work on toughness and put myself in bad spots. And then when I am in a bad spot, I have nothing else to go back on. Can you read that again? Because I I feel like that's going to
1: resonate with a lot of people. Read it again for me. That was impactful.
0: I'm the weakest tough person I know. Mm -hmm. I'm only tough when things are going well. And I'm so tough when they're going well that it masks how weak I am when they're not going well.
1: That's beautiful.
0: (laughs) Or pathetic. In a weird way, that's beautiful. I puked, I retched, I cramped, and I walked off the course. But I really left because I didn't want to be there anymore. Oof. I told everyone it wasn't safe, smart to be up on there because I was cramping, I was puking, I couldn't take fueling down. That's That was my narrative after the race. But what I told myself on the plane ride home, a long flight from Oakland to Chicago is that I really left because I didn't want to be there anymore. You stripped down your excuses. I was tough. I'm going to just go back to this. When I don't do any burpees, I'm super tough. The second I failed an obstacle, I quit mentally. So the whole second lap, I was first and second lap, I was cruising past people who were failing things because it was 17 degrees, it was snowing, the winds were 20, 30 miles per hour, and I was locked in. And I was tough because I was being successful, and on the second lap, I went past Glenn and I think uh Mendoza, and I don't know who else a couple people when they fell off the rig, and I cruised through it went up, and then I fit and I got to the top of the mountain in second place. Chris Brown was gone. I was well clear. I had another thing that I got to blame: my glove I was wearing ripped. On a pinger at the top of the mountain and I fell in and submerged got really wet because it ripped when my hand was behind me and I went down back in totally soaked hadn't uh, had I had my jacket on and unzipped because I was warm at the top and I knew I wasn't going to fail the obstacle. So I had nothing dry to put on and I was soaked inside and outside of my jacket. I started shivering, had to do the penalty loop of the crawl. There were masses in the crawl of all the open waves. And it was like crawl two feet, sit up and wait. And it's again, 17 degrees with 30 mile per hour wind. And I'm soaked Mm -hmm. through and it's just chilling me to the bone. Anyways, that's my story. The real story is that first lap, I took everything off and tucked it away and went through without it because I was mentally engaged and I knew my grip was fine. Second lap, I kept my gloves on because I was nervous of trying to go through the ape hanger because my hands were starting to get tired and I thought I might need the extra stick. Mm -hmm. So that's the stuff I have to write down because otherwise you forget about the fact that it wasn't the water that ended my race. It was my grip not having me, not having confidence in my grip. So I relied on a glove, which ripped, and then I fell in the water, and that ended my race. None of which happens if I come in with bulletproof grip. Yeah. And then as soon as I started getting my pre hypothermia or whatever it is, I quit the race. But the moment I fell off of there, I didn't want to be out there anymore because my perfect race was gone, and now I might not take second place. So that's more of the mo- and it goes on and I'm not going to read the rest of it but that I'm the toughest or I'm the weakest tough person I know. I need to read that every single day until I'm mm-hmm. the toughest tough person I know. That yeah. I'm as tough at my weak points as I am at my strong points. That's what needs to be there.
1: I like it. I don't know why but that just sort of inspires me in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know why. I don't know why I'm just so I'm so enthralled at that simple poetic self-reflection. It's a good, it's good to take a hard look.
0: I was, I was disgusted with myself.
1: You were, you were just listening to Michael Jackson's man in the mirror and being like, (laughs) listen up back. And this is the truth, brother. Yeah. You need to hear it.
0: Well, and I've for many years told students when I taught that you are who you are when things go wrong. You see it when someone gets into a little like a fender bender or if they get a flat tire, or if they lose something, or they're running late and they start snapping at people, or they, the, the guy gets out of his car after rear-ending you and you're just an ass to them immediately. Like When things go wrong, that reveals who you really are. We all put on our armor and we put on airs all day long, but when something surprises you and you react, that's your true self inside you. And I told students that for years, like you are who you are when things are going wrong. So that's what you practice. You practice that. And then when things are going right, you're going to be just the stud of a human being. And I'm sitting here on a, a plane coming home, realizing when things went wrong, I quit immediately. And I was pouty and whiny and excuse filled. And that means that's who I am at this point. I may have been a tough SOB a year or two ago. I'm a whiny quitter right now. Because things went wrong and I defaulted to that. I grabbed onto that like it was a lifeline thrown out to me. And I was very disgusted with myself on that flight home. Mm. So I got some real truth written down. And it's good to revisit that from time to time.
1: It didn't stop you from cheering your heart out the next day on that mountain though. I remember you out on course. So
0: I felt like I owed it to the mountain. I owed it to the sport. I owed it to myself and everyone else out there that I cheated myself. And by proxy, anyone associated with the sport, with my effort and my attitude the day before, like the least I can do is uh, shake these cramps and the soreness off and run up and down the mountain and give my first joyful, honest effort of the weekend and try to support everyone else.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciated that. I uh, I also would like to add to this conversation that... Um... How, how many of you are listening to this and we're like, oh, my race went uh, as well as I wanted it to? Um, probably not most. But like for those of you out there whose race did go well, you won your age group, or you did perform, and you're happy with your result, this conversation doesn't exclude you. Mm-mm. And I just think that's important to get across. Because next time, that thing where you're like, oh, I had to stop and power hike here when I know I could have run, or Ugh. I was two inches away from failing the wet monkey bars or who like, there's probably still those things that you can jot down where maybe you got lucky last weekend, or maybe, you know, you were just good enough, but this conversation doesn't exclude, you know, VJ Jones who won the race. I bet you VJ, you could probably tell us, the things that you could have improved on. And I bet you, you know, those things and that you are going to go back to the lab and work on those things. And so I just want to preface, like the focus was, I'm not disappointed in my race. First of all, I'm actually not, I gave what I had and that I was proud of my log said, I was proud of my effort that I stuck with it regardless, but um, there's always takeaways. And so just because you're happy with your race still doesn't mean that you can't go back to the draw, the lab and figure it out. So I just want to make sure, it's a lot of babbling about people who knew that they could have performed better. But for those who have performed their best, it, it still doesn't mean you're exempt.
0: Yeah. It, this is a long episode, but let's take five minutes and talk about that. Okay. Because we we touched upon it briefly early that a good result kind of masks the things that went wrong. So I want to give a brief anecdotal story about this and then talk. we can talk about how to fix it. So sure. 2018 was the last time maybe they did one in twenty nineteen, but twenty eighteen was a in the stadium series. Everyone decided to come out for the first race of the year. It was going to be both Kempsons, uh Kent, myself, Isaiah, Hunter. Um I'm sure okay. I'm blanking on more people. I don't think Killian could make it to this one. Mm-hmm. But it was basically outside of Killian, it was anyone good that ever was a part of it. And, and Hunter was making his big return to the sport. And the narrative going in was that whoever wins this is just the best stadium racer in the world. And this was the year that I was coming off my first real injury, 2017. And I crammed fitness for this one. This is the one I referenced when I built for Jacksonville. This is the blueprint I was following, why I, I prioritized toughness workouts and race workouts at the expense of a true build.
1: The race is fantastic, by the way. It's one of my favorite races. My favorite race years still to date. Well,
0: thank you. Yep. Uh, and, and I won it.
1: You won it in epic fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I want to get to. I won it. And the takeaway was in my mind and in some other people's minds, I'm just the best at stadiums. Not everyone's mind. A lot of people walked away from that race knowing, oh, I should have won that or he got lucky. And they were right. But my takeaway is this proved it. I won it at maybe 85% of my max fitness, maybe, maybe 88% of my max fitness. What is going to happen when I'm any higher than this? Because I knew going in, I'm, if I'm anything right now, I am tough. And the race started out and I was dropped right off the bat. And the Kempsons and I worked our way up and worked our way up and worked our way up. And we finally got to the assault bike, 15 cals on there and people cracked. Anyone who had went out too hard, cracked. Anyone who attacked that too hard, cracked, because then we had to run about a quarter mile straight up a a series of ramps to the top of the stadium, maybe even a half mile to the top. And by the time I got to the top, Kempson and I were in second and third, made a move and went into first, second from there because everyone else was cracking. However, for 60% of the race, I couldn't even see the lead pack, and then... Kempson went around me and I went into coast mode and we got down to the, the the finish at the end and I was hurting so bad. My fitness had just run out and he was so hungry and he, uh, the last quarter mile, he spent the first 150 meters gapping me on every run and on every station and I made one last move with 250 meters to go or 200 meters to go, caught up a little bit, outboxed, jumped him and out sprinted him to the finish. And it was this big, glorious finish. And I felt like the man, but that masked the fact that A, my fitness was lacking. B, I was out of the race until other people cracked themselves. And C, I almost gave up towards the end. And then I got it back together and got tough just at the last possible second. Mm-hmm. And then I went out about six weeks later and laid an egg at the next race and got smashed by Kent and Killian. Absolutely smashed. Where in my mind, six weeks earlier, I was the best on this planet because I had just beaten the best of the best convincingly mm-hmm. other than Kempson. And so I was just like, I, I missed all the signs of the race because I got to stand on top of the podium and take a picture and see it on social media and and just revel in the fact that I'm the man. And I didn't go out and make my natural adjustments and training. I just kept doing what I was doing. Even though I only put that in place to get to the race and then I wanted to do a proper build, I just kept doing that same thing afterwards. But it mm-hmm. was a foundation built upon no foundation. And so the, a win can sometimes be the worst thing for your long-term development. So if you came out of Asheville and you had a great result, you have to look back and fabricate areas for things that could have gone wrong.
1: We don't even need to fabricate
0: them because, you know, like, you know where you still have time on the table. If you ran the perfect race and won, you need to tell yourself it took a perfect race for me to win. And what are the chances I ever put that together again? Or if you beat someone, but you had an area of weakness, you might think, yeah, I won. But if someone else would have been with me at that one point, they would have smashed me. Or I was this close to quitting and someone failed an obstacle, so I decided to charge through it. But deep down, I know I was that close. You have to find the little things that could have spelled doom and focus on those.
1: Yeah, I have a I have a black and white example myself. Um, and you can make this a little more blurry if you need to. But um, my first Spartan race win ever was in Chicago 2017 in the Super on Saturday. Um, I missed my spear at the very end did my burpees, and I won by like 40 seconds still. I had built up enough of a lead where my missed spear didn't cost me, and it would have been easy for me to cross the finish line and be like, oh, still won. You know what I did that day when I went home? I, I was staying at a friend's house. Mike Ferguson, actually, a buddy of ours, as a friend of his. But I had to go back to my hotel room and get my stuff, and I sat in the back parking lot, and I threw my spear for half an hour at a mound of, after I just won, and I had a sprint the next day. And I took a half an hour and I threw the spear over. I think I had a pine cone I set on the ground. It was something stupid. And I threw and threw and threw, even though I just won. And then I went the next day and I hit my spear and I won by like 30 seconds. And if I would have missed, it would have been fourth or fifth place because it was a sprint and tight field. And as black and white as that is, like I recognize that right away. And the spear throws an easy thing to point a finger at, like do it, get better at that. But I still went, even though I had a good day, I picked something out of that. And I was like, if that happens tomorrow you're screwed. And you can do that with every little aspect of your race. And so I really like that, that you had the. Had I don't know you can recognize that now in hindsight. I just think everybody can do that. I still won the race, but yet I still took something away from it being like, right. you still need to go and work on this. And so good lessons,
0: man. And it is because you didn't pay for it then. And I paid for it dearly. The, anyone can recognize in hindsight, right? It's teaching yourself to recognize in the moment. And the only way to do that is to journal ASAP all the time.
1: VJ Jones, I know you listen to this podcast. Um, This is my call to action, just to one human being out there. If you could do us the favor, you won the race in your damn stud and you looked great doing it. I would love to know if you could send in or write to us your takeaways on the things that still need work. I just want to. I think the the guy who wins the race holds the most clout as far as this whole conversation goes. Mm-hmm. And there's only one guy out there who won the race, and that's VJ. When you listen to this, shoot it to me. I would be curious to see if you don't mind us sharing it. I just think that we're we. There's no way he's not having that conversation with himself as well as others. And I just think that might be might be fun to share. Yeah. So VJ, I'm I'm counting on you, brother. Send me that.
0: And V and VJ's goals are not immediate. Yeah, He's talked all year that his goal is the last race of the year, you know, in theory, OCR World Championships. He's talked about that 3K for, he talked about it for two years before he went out and won it, and now he's going back to repeat. Like, he is training for that. So even though he succeeded at a Spartan 10K, that's not his goal. And he will absolutely be taking things away from this and say, okay, it worked well, but how would that have played out in a shorter, steeper, grindier race with obstacles that were much more dense. Like he's going to be playing that out and I'm glad you asked for it. I'm excited to hear how his mind works.
1: Yeah. I took ninth place. I got plenty of shit I can throw out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, we we took a a tangent there, but success does not guarantee more success. It makes it easier. Success breeds success. That's absolutely true. But success also breeds complacency, which is the killer. Complacency will kill you. And so you need to fabricate urgency if you don't naturally have it. It must be, it must exist in in some form or fashion. So write down, write down, write down.
1: I agree, Bracken. We uh man, did we we got a lot of lemonade out of this lemon, didn't we, Bracken?
0: We haven't talked to each other in a while. I feel like we're just Trying to leech every second out of this conversation.
1: The funny thing is about this is we chatted for what like a half an hour in total before we even hit the record button. I mean, between on the phone this morning. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We got we got a lot of each other. I will say as we wrap this thing up, um just this weekend, uh, number of people that came up. I know I said this after the last race weekend, but everybody that came up and said thanks for the podcast. Uh thank you for taking the time. Had a lot of genuine conversations this weekend. Bracken, I'm sorry you missed out on that. A lot of people asked where you were, how you doing. I said, Oh, he's he's building. I said actually I said he can't hang. I said he can't hang. He's not here, but
0: both statements are true.
1: Equally true. They knew what I meant. Um so thank you uh for that. And then the last thing I want to say is I don't know about you, Bracken, but I think I've gotten more messages or comments on last week's episodes, both the consistency episode and then the TJ Schroffnagel episode on Friday, where one, consistency is like a consistency episode, like bore me to death. But for some reason, that episode really resonated with people. And if you happen to skip over that, I would suggest you go listen to it. And then the Friday episode with TJ Schroffnagel, you know, you're let's call it like non runner who completed an ultra in utah when most couldn't Uh, our friday episode was like super inspiring i listened to that one back he's one of my best friends but like the response to that was really great and so for those of you who glossed over that episode because you didn't recognize the name uh you're only doing yourself a disservice so i would say go back and listen to last week's if you haven't because it seemed like a lot of people got a good bit out of both of those
0: I've two things to finish with then. You reminded me of of both of them. The first is that we had that exact comment on one of the posts about the episode which is someone okay. said every every time I think about skipping an episode because it's not a big name person and I think that the episode will be a little less I'm I'm always proven wrong. And I think that's one of the 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 realizations we want people to have is that running Is a sport of human stories, not names. Like Names are fantastic and they get you in the seats, but every single person out there has something in their story that you're going to connect with. Every single one of them, even if they're a person you don't agree with, which we've had on this show several Mm -hmm. times, people are like, I just can't get behind what that person's saying. They all have some piece you're going to take away. We could, we, I'm at the point because I used to think the same thing. We need a name. We need a name. And now it's like, just give me a body, give me a body because they've done something in their life that I have not, or they've done something that I have and they've done it differently. But either way, just anyone, I'm never worried anymore because they're going to give us something that we can all take away.
1: Well, Well, and we choose our guests for a reason. Yeah. Like just that, that's like the one thing that's just leave it at that. We choose our guests for a reason. So just trust us.
0: But the second piece is that for two of the last three or four guests, we've had a few messages questioning some me- some of the takeaways from our message. So um, that's very vague. Uh, <laughs> questioning the message that we're putting out there. So with Anthony Kunkel, it was the idea of using psychedelics and other drugs um, as a runner and as a person. And with TJ, it was the idea of not quitting no matter what, no matter what medical condition you're in. And I want to remind people that Tuesdays are the days where Kirk and I, where we get on here and we give you our beliefs and our feelings. And Fridays are the days we introduce you to someone and we give them the floor. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you notice, we don't argue with guests. Even if they say things we don't agree with, training principles, which I'm sure you know by now what our training principles are, and a lot of our guests do not mesh with them. And we have a guest coming up, not in the next two weeks, but semi-soon, that is absolutely not something I would ever prescribe to someone. But Fridays are our days to introduce people to the world, to allow them to speak their stories, and for you to make your decisions on what to follow. So do Mm -hmm. I personally endorse Anthony's use of uh, psychedelics, of mushrooms, of LSD? Absolutely not. Would I have a much different take on it? Yes, but I'm not here to censor the guests. I'm here to let them say their piece, to interview them in an honest, unbiased way and let the audience decide. Everyone's capable of doing that. You guys know where Kirk and I stand because we stand for it every single Tuesday. The things we care about, we talk about we don't talk about it, it's probably not important to us. So you, you know where we stand, but our purpose is not to then drive home our points on Fridays. It's to open up the other side of the coin or sometimes just a different part of the same side of the coin, because we don't know everything and everyone has something valuable to bring to the table. So no, I don't think that everyone should put themselves into a medical coma during a race. And no, I don't think that, that people should go out there and start taking LSD and going for runs, but that's why I'm not the person being interviewed on those topics. So that's just my, my PSA.
1: I'm glad you said that. We have, The floor has been ours for an hour and 30 plus minutes today. And then the floor is somebody else's on Fridays. And that's how that's how it works. It doesn't mean we're not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing. It is what it is. The people are who the people are. That's not our place to judge. It is. Sure, it's yours, but it doesn't mean that that's a part of who we are. It just means that people are interesting and their stories we're telling. And so that's why we do what we do. But
0: glad you said that. We, we've we had people on this podcast that Kirk and I don't get along with. We have purposely reached out to them, chose them. Yeah. People that we, we would not necessarily even invite to our house. <laughs> but we, we want to give you the chance to make your decision on them. And I promise you this, for every negative comment we get, sent to us personally about a guest and we've had some that have given us dozens and dozens of negative comments. There's an equal and opposite reaction of people like that person is the best. So even if you, even if you are not a fan of them, someone out there is, and all of us are going to take something away from it. I might've taken more notes from Anthony Kunkel than anyone since Dr. Fred Clary. (laughs) Anthony and I could not live a more different life. We could not have more different values, but I took a page and a half of notes during Anthony Kunkel's episode.
1: So where are you at in your LSD
0: rotation today then? <laughs> I am, uh, I'm totally dry today, Kirk. <laughs> You're in that part of your cycle? Yeah. So anyways, that was a long addendum, but I think it's important to know that we are intentionally taking over our show on Tuesdays and we are intentionally sharing the platform on Fridays. Let them know. Thanks for tuning in regardless, folks.
1: Our longest training Tuesday yet, I think. Congrats. <laughs>